Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to the broadcast ministry of Return to the Word with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now, here is pastor and author Mark Fontecchio. Revelation chapter 6 brought us the first six seal judgments, a dreadful time of death and destruction on the earth. This morning we find ourselves in the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation. Would you join me there? One of the hidden treasures of Europe are some of the old monasteries like this. They're kind of fascinating to tour and see. And if you look closely at many of these, you can see a rope line. Now, Portugal has a monastery that is perched high up on a cliff, 3,000 feet high up in, on this cliff. And the only way to get to it is by a terrifying ride on one of these swaying little baskets. The basket is pulled on a single rope by several men as they tug it across. And some time ago, an American tourist, he visited the site and he got nervous about halfway across. He didn't like this too much. And he noticed that the rope was old and it was frayed and it was coming a little undone. And hoping to get an answer that would calm his fears, he, he asked, well, how often do you guys change these ropes? And the monk in charge replied, oh yeah, we change them whenever they break. Not the answer you're looking for. But I also think that's some way that people view their journey to heaven, especially when times are tough. They feel like they're swaying on a basket, being pulled to heaven by an old and fraying rope, hoping it doesn't break anytime soon. They no longer feel secure in Christ, so they kind of grit their teeth and they hang on for dear life, afraid to step out in faith and take a risk in their life for standing for Jesus Christ. And if that is how you feel this morning, then you will be encouraged in Revelation chapter 7 to read of those who come to faith in Christ during the tribulation. They will face persecution like nothing this world has ever seen before. They will pay a great cost to profess the name of Jesus Christ, and many, many, many will lose their lives for it. And they will be under tremendous pressure to give up their faith and deny their Savior, and yet they will do just the opposite. They will stand bold, stand true for their witness for the Lord. By faith in Christ, they will take risks to spread the message of the coming kingdom kingdom of God around the world, they will go out refusing to be crippled by fear. So the question before us is where, where will they find such peace? Where will they find such strength and security in their life to do this? Where will they find the courage and strength to stand for Jesus Christ? Where will they find the confidence to live with this sense of purpose, even during the great tribulation? If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Revelation 7, which tells us where this confidence in Christ comes from and how it can change how you and I live as the children of God. Verse 1 tells us this. It says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the winds should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. 
Now, chapter 6, if you've been with us, if you haven't, you need to go online and catch up. But if you've been with us, chapter 6 brought us the first of the six seal judgments. And they were like rapid fire. They were one after another. And the staggering scene at the end of chapter 6, at the end of the sixth seal, it ended with all the people over the earth rushing to the caves and screaming, screaming for their lives, screaming who is able to stand. And the screams of panic on earth are right before Christ opens up the seventh seal, the final seal on this scroll. Now, based on everything that John had seen, he might have thought that no one is able to stand, that no one would able to be do it. But chapter seven is about to answer that question, isn't it? Telling us that there's going to be two groups that stand, two groups. One will stand strong on the earth during the tribulation after receiving God's seal of protection. And the other group, after being killed for their faith at the hands of God's enemies, will stand in heaven before God's throne in worship and in praise. Notice the intended contrast by God. The lost are left screaming in panic, screaming in fear, trying to hide from God. But the children of faith, what are they doing? They're standing before their God in faith, worshiping him. I want you to remember where we are at in the tribulation. This is after the sixth seal and before the seventh. Now, there are two visions in chapter seven of Revelation. This is the first. And what John saw now happens at the end of the first half of the tribulation. God sent four angels to restrain the four winds of the earth. I'll never forget, we had a young college student come to me about 20-some years ago in the church I pastored in Wisconsin, and he comes to me and he says, Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark, my professor says that this verse proves the Bible's not true, because this liberal professor's thought that, hey, the earth does not have four corners, so therefore the Bible must not be true. And I'm here to tell you, any liberals out there, that if you're trying to attack the Bible on this point, you better keep looking. Because this is just known as an idiom, an idiom, a group of words that have a meaning that cannot be identified from the definition of the words in the expression. Let me just give you a few examples. We use these all the time in our everyday speech. Here's one. Get off my back. Get off my back. How about up in the air or under the weather? Idioms, that's all they are. Trees and all that is going to be judged by God. The winds represent the judgments of God that will directly impact both the land and the sea. And that's what our next two verses tell us. Watch it with me. It says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Another angel rushes onto the scene from the east. The rest of the judgment must hold off until the servants of God are sealed. Because as bad as it is during the first six seal judgments, it will be that much worse during the second half of the tribulation when the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments are unleashed on the earth. God sends his angels to hold back the winds of judgment and the winds of destruction for a time in order that he might mark out his own. He wants to distinguish those who belong to him, the 144,000, before he judges the rest of the world. 
Now, what do the seals represent? Let's talk about this. Seals show ownership. They show authority. Back then, you know that seals were on documents. But this is saying God has the authority to put a seal on his people that no one, no one, no one can break. The intention of the seal upon the 144,000 is to preserve them during the tribulation. And the very fact that these seals will be upon their heads shows that not only have they been regenerated through faith in Christ, but it shows that they will openly confess their faith in Jesus Christ. The purpose of this seal is to set apart those who will share the gospel in the last three and a half years of tribulation and to protect them, protect these 144,000 from the judgments that will be coming upon mankind. So how do we know all this? I'm spitting stuff out at you guys real fast here. How do we know all this stuff? Well, look at Revelation 9.4, speaking of the demonic forces. It says this, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth. It's good for the grass or any green thing. Good for that or any tree. But only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So let's talk about this. How much protection will they have? Protection from demonic forces, to be sure. In Revelation 16, 2, the bull of God's wrath is focused on those who have the mark of the beast. Revelation 19 shows us that those with the mark of the beast are deceived. Those sealed by God are not. But on the other hand, Revelation 13 does tell us that those that don't have the mark of the beast are going to have a hard time buying and selling during the tribulation. And so in Revelation 7, we have to say, we must say that the sealed are the people of God and their sealing by God must be related at least, at least to their salvation. Now, doesn't Paul teach some of the same idea in the church age today? Sure he does. If you know the Bible, you know that to be true. Second Corinthians 1.22, it says, who has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Or again, Ephesians 1.13, in him you also trusted after you heard what? The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And just one more, don't forget the teaching of Ephesians 4. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why I get frustrated when Christians don't think about their sin because you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. This is why our redemption is safe and secure because we are kept by the power of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, the day we receive our future bodies. This is why it is not up to you to keep your salvation in Jesus Christ because salvation is a work of God. You couldn't do anything to earn it. And you certainly can't do anything to keep it. It is a work of God. So we look at these saints of God and say that in Christ, the sealing of God will keep them eternally secure in their salvation. The plagues of God and the judgment of God in the seventh seal and the direct demonic activity, it will not, it cannot harm them because they're going to be supernaturally protected by God. The seventh seal is the context. And that's why there's this gigantic pause here in Revelation 7. So the 144,000 can be sealed before the seventh seal of the tribulation begins. These will be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel saved during the tribulation. 
set apart as a remnant to be a testimony of God's grace and mercy, even, even in the tribulation, even in a dark time of judgment. There will be more that come from Israel that come to faith in the tribulation, but these 144,000, they have a special purpose. The seal is probably the name of the Lamb and God the Father. Revelation 14.1 says this, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. Now right now, Right now, the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit is invisible. We don't see it, but this might not be the case in the tribulation. Notice Revelation 14 says his father's name written on their foreheads. So here comes the detailed list of the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's read it. We pick it up with verse 4. It says, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. 144,000 Hebrew people will be sealed with God's seal of ownership. He secures them for safe delivery into his kingdom. You know, in the first half of the tribulation, 144,000 Jews are going to come to faith in their Messiah. They will put their trust in Jesus Christ. God will seal them. God will mark them as his own. And in the Bible days, when a man sealed a document, he would drop a piece of wax and he would take his signet ring and press it into the wax. And it showed that the document belonged to him. It was his document that it belonged to him alone and it secured the document for its intended destination. You know, sometimes when we travel, we don't always we don't always make it safely where we're intending to go, especially on road trips. In Wisconsin one time, some of you guys know this story, in Wisconsin one time we were driving home late at night through the National Forest and you know here's the thing about black bears, they're black and when it's really dark you can't see them and so we're driving through the National Forest and we had our windows down and we almost hit a whole entire family of black bears and we go skidding across the road and we're sliding and sliding and it just slides right up, right up by Angie, all these bears right by her open window. Once we were hit by a car up on flat top in Anchorage by the switchback, and we got pushed part of the way off the edge. That was wonderful. Another time, I developed a major oil leak in Hatcher's Pass. I almost got stuck out there. That's a shameful, shameful thing. I had my trailer lights go out coming home one night. I've run low on gas. You don't want to ride with me is the moral of this story. About a month ago, I got tired, real tired, coming home with the boat through Sutton. Hannah is probably watching online. I was trying to pull off to the side 
And I was going through Sutton. I don't drive through Sutton anymore. I think I'm a wanted man in Sutton. Because I saw this area where I was going to pull out, and it turns out it was a sidewalk. And we hit that handicap ramp perfectly at 45 miles an hour with the boat on. And I'm driving along, and I said to Hannah, I said, show me where the off-ramp is. And we went all the way through Sutton on the sidewalk. (laughs) Drew an engine rod on my old truck on those hills just past Sutton. I call it Hannah's Hill. I've slid on the ice. I've been known to be in a ditch or two. Our son, Micah, he's he's got the, the cream of the crop. He had his car start on fire while driving to work on the Glen Highway. We call him Fireball. Now, wouldn't it be nice to be told when you take a road trip, when we leave on a long car trip, something like this, I want you to know you're going to be safe. You're going to reach your destination safely, and you're going to reach it on time. That no matter what happens on your journey, even if you have to drive down KGB, even if you get lost, or you drive in a storm, or you have a flat tire, don't worry. Here's a guaranteed promise. You're going to be safe, and you're going to make it on time. But we have been given that promise, that promise by God concerning our spiritual journey in Jesus Christ. See, the promise comes in the form of a seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit of God. And didn't Paul ask the question in Romans 8.35 when he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And I could add, or pandemic? And then he answered a few verses later, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling in every Christian is God's seal that every church-age saint will make it to heaven right on time. Right on time. His time. It's His promise to us. So next time you get a flat tire in your life, next time you get detoured in your faith, next time you're thinking about that kind of thing, don't let the things shake your confidence in God's promise to you. God will much do the same here in the tribulation for the 144,000 Jews. But his protection, let's go back to this. His protection is going to extend even further. He puts a seal on them, marks them as his own, and guarantees that they will make it safely into his kingdom right on time. Now, they're not going to have the easiest life, that's for sure. They're not going to be running around selling books about your best life now in the tribulation. They're going to have a hard time, okay? Life won't be easy, but they're going to be protected. Revelation 14.1, we just looked at a minute ago. It speaks of the second coming of Christ. Let's read it again. It says, then I looked, and behold, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him who? 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. This is when Christ returns. This is the second coming. Guess who's going to be there? The 144,000 of Israel who have the Father's name written on their foreheads and not a single one of them is going to be missing. All of them will stand with Jesus Christ. None have lost their way. None have lost their salvation. Every single one that God sealed was safe with Christ to be a part of his coming kingdom. Glory to God. 
And so I want you to think about this. If God can preserve the salvation of his people during the great tribulation, why can't he do it now? Then we can know that God can preserve the salvation of his people today. Now, if you're a Bible geek, and oh, I'm a Bible geek, I'm, I'm just a big Bible geek. If you're a Bible geek, you're looking at this list in Revelation 7, and you're looking at these, this list here of all the tribes of Israel, and you're going to notice some differences, aren't you? You're going to notice some differences from all the other lists in the Old Testament. And I think the reason is simple. Each list depends on the purpose of the author. Sometimes a list of tribes is focused on the land, Sometimes a list of tribes is focused on their birth records, different reasons. Here, this list includes Levi. It leaves out Dan, even though Dan is mentioned again, receiving land in the coming kingdom of God in Ezekiel 48. And it replaces Ephraim with Joseph. God has his purpose. But we know that Jacob's son, Joseph, his inheritance, of course, was divided into two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. In Revelation 7, Manasseh is included and Ephraim is still represented because Joseph is listed. So no tribes are actually lost in this list. It's really just that Dan is not listed, probably because they were the first tribe of Israel to fall into idolatry. And the tribe of Levi is listed, which makes so much sense that the tribe of Levi is listed and they would be involved in a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, before we move on, I'm going to step on some toes. Let me address something this morning. There are many Christians today that are convinced that God's plan for Israel has come to an end. They believe that the promises of a glorious nation and a future blessing of Israel in their land have been done away with because of their disobedience in the past. Others think, foolishly, that Israel has been replaced by the church, that God has divorced Israel, and that God has no future plan for Israel. Some of this has led to the hatred of the Jews, labeled as the killers of Christ, and countless Jews throughout history have been killed throughout history as a result. It's a distortion. It's a distortion of Scripture. It is a perversion of the plan of God for His people, Israel. And I'm not going to ever allow this type of teaching into this church. We've had to take that stand here. It has caused some to leave our church in the past because I would not allow God's beautiful plan for the people of Israel to be distorted. Doctrine matters, guys. If we can't get down to the biblical doctrine of the Bible and we can't stand for these things, I don't even want to be here. Doctrine matters. And if you're barking up that tree, you're listening to men more than scriptures because you're going to have to wrestle with many, many passages like this one right here in Revelation 7 where the tribes of Israel are listed by name. They're listed by name, good grief, in God's future plan. It would be ridiculous, foolish to think that the 12 tribes listed refers to the church instead of Israel. Why would God do that? The Bible never identifies people outside the descendants of Jacob as Israel. If you're not a descendant of Jacob, I'm sorry, get off your hat. You're not Israel. You're just not. Get off your hat. There will be more than 144,000 Hebrew people saved during the tribulation, and many of them, many are going to die tragically for their faith. But these 144,000 Hebrews will serve as a faithful witness for Jesus Christ during those dark, dark days of the tribulation. 
And I believe that we have every indication, every indication that God will keep them from harm during the tribulation. And God will use them to fulfill the Old Testament calling of using the Hebrew people to be God's witness among the nation. Preserved in safety throughout the tribulation as a testimony of the power and the grace of God. And as a channel through which the gospel can come to the whole earth. Now, the 10 northern tribes were not lost. That's another lie that's often taught today. God knows exactly who his people are. How big is your God? God knows exactly who his people are. The Hebrew tribes will, will be sealed to witness, protected by God, and they will become the first fruits of the nation of Israel when Israel's restored to the land in the coming kingdom of Christ. All right, here comes the second vision in verse 9. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one can number all of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I want you to look at these verses and learn to have courage. Learn to have courage in your faith. Learn to have confidence in your God and then act like it. Live for him. See, we don't have to live in fear. We can confidently move forward because when you know that your salvation is settled in the throne room of God, there's nothing that can stop you. And then Christians learn to find the joy of victory in the very presence of God himself. Now, not only will God seal 144,000 Jews during the tribulation, he will save people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. They will put their trust in the Savior. You know, when Rome's armies came home from their battles victorious, they would wear white robes and they would wave palm branches just as we see the tribulation saints doing here in verse 9. White robes, why? Because the text tells us they've been declared righteous in the sight of God through faith, which is what we're going to be told in verse 14. The palm branches were connected with the Passover celebration and the Feast of the Tabernacles. Even the coins, even the Hebrew coins during this time often had palm branches on them with the description, the redemption of Zion. They were symbols of victory. In John 12, they showed the triumph of Christ. The Jews met Christ on his entry into Jerusalem, celebrating him as the king of Israel. And Revelation 7 is, is showing that these tribulation saints killed for their faith will celebrate the coming victory of the king before his second coming. Now, it may have seemed on earth that these saints were defeated, but we see a different picture in heaven, don't we? And I want you to track this with me because there's some beautiful teaching coming up. They have returned home here as victors in the battle between good and evil with all of heaven cheering them on because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. All of heaven will praise God for the victory seen in the lives of the martyred saints of the tribulation. Now on earth, they were cursed. On earth, they were cursed. In heaven, they will be a cause for celebration. 
The 144,000 will be protected by God during the tribulation, but not the people who come to faith in Christ because of the witness of the 144,000. This is a celebration in heaven of the victory that we have in Christ. And look at the text with me. It says, a multitude crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, the reference to salvation here, you've got to be so careful with this text. It's not a reference. It is not a reference to the eternal life conceived in us when we come to faith. But the long-awaited deliverance or victory that God will bring about at the return of Christ at the second coming. Because God will rescue the earth from the man of sin, the corruption, the depravity, the rebellion of man. This salvation belongs to our God. And these wonderful saints in heaven were getting a taste of this ahead of time. Now they had, I want you to stop and think about this beautiful truth. They had been rescued from the tribulation by death. Think about that. They had been rescued from the tribulation by death. Now, if that seems foreign to our thinking, it's because we think of death as the ultimate end, but it's not, not for those in Christ. For those in Christ during the tribulation, they will understand that death is just a doorway to our eternal life. Then these tribulation saints were at rest with God in heaven, which is what the Feast of Tabernacles look forward to, rest before God, at rest and now with victory in heaven, no longer persecuted on earth, where they will wave palm branches in celebration and worship of God. It will be a time of great joy. I hope you understand the teaching. Even if we are killed for our faith, we become a part of a celebration in heaven. And then our last bit of text tells us, starting in verse 13, and I would say that this is one of the most beautiful scenes in the entire Bible. It says, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. John didn't know the identity of those in white robes, so an elder told him, these are tribulation saints made white in the blood of the Lamb, a reference to the cleansing of the Savior when he gives his people new life. Christ does the same for us today. There's an older book, some of you may remember it, it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. He used to be a shepherd. And he talks about his experience as a shepherd in East Africa. And the land that was next to his was rented out to another shepherd who didn't take good care of his sheep. His land was overgrazed, eaten all the way down to the ground. It was bare. The sheep were thin. They looked pathetic. They, they were diseased by parasites, attacked by wild animals. And Keller said he especially remembered how the neighbor's sheep would line up at the fence and blankly stare in his direction of his green grass and all his healthy sheep, almost as if they longed to be delivered from their abusive shepherd. They longed to come to the other side of the fence and belong to him. 
And we, of all people, as, as children of God, understand that the identity of the shepherd is everything. The identity of the shepherd is everything. It's a wonderful truth to be able to say, the Lord God is my shepherd. And this is something that the tribulation saints will be able to understand more than you or I, because they will have been abused. They will have been starved and attacked and longing and looking to the day when they could be with the lamb who would shepherd them and lead them to the fountains of waters. Now, I want you to track with me just for a moment. The vision is taking place during the seven-year tribulation. The scene transpires in heaven before the throne of God and of the Lamb. John is seeing this after he saw the sixth seal before the seventh, which is at the midway point of the tribulation. John is talking with one of the elders. We identified before in our study the elders as part of the church already in heaven. But I want you to notice in verse 14 in your text, one of the elders told John that these were the ones who come out of the great tribulation, which is the second half of the tribulation. This is how Christ used this expression in Matthew 24, the great tribulation, and he limited it to the second half of the tribulation. So John is seeing this at the midway point of the tribulation, but these saints were coming out of the great tribulation, the second half. So how does that work? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Here's a little grammar. The preposition in verse 14 is flexible enough that this could easily be translated not as out of the great tribulation, but instead out from the great tribulation, meaning out from the great tribulation before it even begins, telling us that the saints martyred for their faith in Revelation 7 are the saints killed in the first half of the tribulation, which fits the progression of the book, because after the sixth seal, the great tribulation is about to start. These are tribulation believers killed for their faith in Jesus Christ who have suffered terrible affliction and suffering on earth, but yet they stand before God's throne, serve in God's temple day and night as the good shepherd. God protects them. They no longer hunger. They no longer thirst. The sun or the heat cannot hurt them because the Lamb of God is there to shepherd them and to lead them to living fountains of waters and refreshing waters of life. The water of life is given in glory to those who belong to him. And then it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no crying or pain in the presence of God. Did you catch the image here? The Lamb of God is now the shepherd and his people have access to his throne where God shelters and cares for them. Never again will these people endure torment because they have the supreme protection of the living God himself. The lamb in the midst of the throne will take care of his sheep. In the Bible days, it was a disgrace for a shepherd to lose even one sheep. But we're here we see that Jesus, the lamb, loses none of his sheep. He guides them to all the springs of living waters. He guides them to eternal life in him. He guides them to all the abundance of heaven where he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And if Jesus will lose none of his sheep during the dark days of the tribulation, then he will lose none of those who trust in him today. Just like the tribulation believers, everyone who trusts Christ will be celebrating in heaven forever. And in John 6, Jesus said this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What did he go on to say? He said, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. See, this is a promise for us, for those who have put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. So Christians, find your security in life, not in panicking, not in fretting in this world, but find your security in life in him. Know that sure and certain salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Little boy lost his mother in a car accident when he was just a young child. And his father was trying to do the difficult job of being a mom and a dad. So he planned out a picnic for him and his son. And the little boy had never been to a picnic. So they made their plans and they fixed their lunch and they packed a car. And then it was time to go to bed because the picnic was the next day. But the little boy, he just couldn't sleep. He tossed and he turned because the excitement of the picnic the next day got to him. And he got out of bed and he ran into the room where his father was, but his dad was already asleep. So he shook his dad and he woke him up. And the father, the father saw his son. He said to the boy, what are you doing? What's the matter? What's going on? The boy responded, I can't sleep. And the father asked, why can't you sleep? And the boy just said, daddy, daddy, I'm so excited about tomorrow. And his father said to him, well, son, I'm sure you are. It's going to be a great day. But if we don't get some sleep, it's not going to be that great. So why don't you just run down the hall and get back in bed and get a good night's rest? Well, you guys kind of know how this goes as parents. The boy went off down the hall to his room and he got in the bed. And every parent here knows that that was not the end of it because they don't go to bed always on the first time. They just don't, do they, doodles? Father fell asleep again, but it wasn't long before the boy was back. He was pushing and shoving and, and waking up his father. And his father opened up his eyes and some strong choice words almost came out of his mouth until he saw the expression on the boy's face. So the father asked him again. He said, what is the problem? And this time the boy just said as he reached around his father and hugged him, he said, daddy, daddy want to thank you for tomorrow. You understand, Christians, what our Heavenly Father has planned for us. It really should help you right now to say, Father, I just want to thank you for tomorrow. I want to thank you for tomorrow. But thank Him not only with the words you say, but by the way you live your life. That's living a thank you life. Revelation 7 teaches us that even in the midst of the wrath, God does not forget his mercy. God does not forget his promises to his children. And so with David, our hearts cry out like his did in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rad and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of thine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over, and then what? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.